0: definitive stop point for this one so i don't necessarily have to keep track of the overall time yeah i exactly. that when we finish it anyway
1: he also allows for some of our trademark intro banter yeah. so <laughs> chris nolan right he's he's, he's a he's, man he's, he's a chrissy filmmaker. and he's nolan exactly he's both of those things <laughs> uh yeah really sort of really interesting career in the sense that he's he feels like one of the only directors who's able to make original blockbusters that are distinctly his own like he's able to operate within the studio system but also retain a lot of individuality
0: yeah i i can i can get that like you can always identify a nolan film uh, yeah with regard and he's Mm -hmm. he's one of the few that sort of yeah he's definitely kept that identity separate like you think of you know, he's he's one of the very few filmmakers who's done a you know a comic book movie and kept outside of that whole you know stuck within that Marvel bubble. Mm. Like, it's, like John Favreau is very much you know he's 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 like the Iron Man director now and he's mm. he's very much part of Marvel. Yeah,
1: but you Rose. couldn't really describe a John Favreau film just based on looking at it. I don't yeah. know, at least I don't think, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's a lot of trademarks in ALF that I'm missing, but... I mean, but... Chef, like, Chef oh, yeah, has chef got is extreme... Chef is probably the closest he gets to, like, a personal, distinct vision, I'd say. Yeah. And Chef is really good, and, you know, fun. But anyway, we're not talking about John Favreau Vos today. This concludes our conversation about Chris Nolan, <laughs> and now for the four-hour in-depth look at Chef.
0: Yeah, oh, no, trust me, that that's coming. That's yeah. one of the <laughs> future episodes. I love Chef. Mm-hmm. got chef and frank
1: wait you mean the um wait frank is isn't frank the one with the michael fassbender and he's yes yeah okay yeah that i know that one so that's really good uh so yeah why why are we here today well we've got there's tenet is uh maybe coming out soon i don't know what the state of film is anymore with the whole minor instance of a worldwide pandemic um but not only is Tenet coming out soon which is part of an excuse for this conversation but also it is the 10th anniversary of Inception the day it is. isn't it the day we're
0: recording this i think it i uh, from what i read on twitter yes. on from one post
1: yes which is all the proof i need and all the evidence <laughs> we need to go on this weird tangent well not tangent retrospective whatever this is
0: yeah it um obviously inception is one of I feel like Inception was probably the first uh, Chris Nolan film that was identifiable as a Chris Nolan film to the wider public.
1: I'd say that's fair, yeah. Especially because The Dark Knight essentially opened his entire, sort of, really... I know he had made, obviously that's sort of the midpoint of his career now, but it feels like there's a before and after Dark Knights when you look at his career... In yeah, retrospect, absolutely. it's like a nexus point for both how he did, how he approached filmmaking and also how the public perceived him and saw him as a yeah.
0: filmmaker. Because people talk about Memento a lot, but yes. nobody, it's very rare that someone will go, Memento, it didn't, the Chris Nolan film. Yeah,
1: it didn't make a billion dollars, I think is one of the big yeah. defining <laughs> factors of that. That is a big one. So yeah, and that's the thing, it was, you know, it, it very much feels like the film of 2008 in a way. Like it was hugely... You know, obviously made loads of money, massive critical acclaim, won an Oscar yeah. as well, which is, you know, rare for that genre. And, yeah, it still is rare. And even today, company. like, so 2008 was the same year Iron Man came out. So, of course, that's kicking off the whole Marvel sort of movie boom with superheroes. And we've circulated through so many of those in that genre since. But I still feel like The Dark Knight is a touchstone. And, and we're escaping the overall point, which was just supposed
0: to be an intro rather than talking about the main films. So it's, it's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah. The, so the general vibe of today is that we're going to do a sort of retrospective of Chris Nolan's films, yes. uh, filmography, mm. uh, for just from his, his main filmography, like yeah. we're not talking about the sort of really small things like the, the shorts and whatnot. Mm.
1: Um,
0: and what, is, it, um... is it doodle bug or something that was his first ever short?
1: Yes. Is that what it's he called? says
0: confidently, I think. Yeah, I think it was something like that. But um, we watched it at some point during, um, during university. Oh well, it, I haven't. Is... So I'm in dream. Oh, that, that's no. actually. I couldn't be bothered um... to watch the short film. Yeah. <laughs> no, we were we were forced to watch it, so yeah. I guess that doesn't really bode as well. Mm. But it's um it's an interesting little piece. It you can, I think you can see promise in it. You, you yeah. I don't think you can identify it anywhere near as like a Nolan film, but you can definitely see that it is a person who made it who has promise yeah but no um we, we'll, we'll start we're yeah. starting today well no no, no with but a nice added,
1: little... we, we, we should also add because nolan you know he's obsessed with time he loves his you know ticking clocks and whatever like inception is all built on the idea of time passing at different intervals and so is dunkirk so what we're going to do is we're going to try and limit the conversation about each film to five minutes
0: which should be relatively easy we hope. we're hoping.
1: Yeah. We're gonna do in you know just a, about fifty-five minutes what Blank Check took twenty-two hours to do because they <laughs> they did a whole mini series about Nolan and they spent two hours on each film. Yeah, so. we've
0: got it a lot easier than they do. Yes, but we'll so. we'll um we'll endeavour to make you know those each of those five minutes. We're gonna condense. Gonna be a good yeah, five we're gonna minutes.
1: mention every single thing they did in those in those two hours in five minutes. Yeah, but
0: we're talking Hamilton speed. Yes, that's how it's. And if be. we
1: don't, then we failed that's that's
0: yeah. <laughs> it objectively we failed oh sh- uh, not something over but it's fine uh good the start so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna ready you ready for this i'm gonna yes. start the stopwatch i think the first one we're gonna okay. go into is um following i'm yes. starting it now right so following
1: micro budget film like very you know shot for six thousand dollars i think it was on weekends because everyone in the crew had a full-time job that they would do on the side or say on the side, the film was the side project and it took them over the course of a year to do it all. And, uh, there were extensive, and this is sort of, this ties into the reason that I think following is very admirable and it's very interesting to look at, but in a way I find it more interesting on a production side of things than the film itself. Yeah. And and especially looking at it as Nolan's first film and looking at what he would do, like looking back at it in hindsight, it's sort of difficult to separate it from that because in a lot of ways it does feel like a thesis film for his entire career.
0: Yeah, I I can get that. Obviously, I've only just recently watched it. Recently as in
1: today, yeah.
0: Yeah, about about an hour or so ago. Hmm. So a lot of my thoughts and feelings on it are very raw and fresh and without kind of, without process. But, so, i and I don't have as much of a knowledge behind the behind the scenes sort of stuff, so my a lot of my feelings are just seeing what I saw in the film and just bouncing straight off that um, and the first thing I wrote down was it's pretty weird, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it's sort of the. It- It's like the. It
1: feels like the sort of thing that if he were to make it later in his career, he would elaborate on it a bit more. But as it is, I think it's he's very much interested in again because it's more of a mission statement, in my opinion, than an actual cohesive, fully fledged feature film. In the sense that it's he's very interested in giving sort of evocative visuals and a creating this heavy atmosphere that he leans into very hard, but doesn't necessarily explore. Which again, I. I don't even know if that counts as a criticism because it's worth remembering. This was shot for six thousand dollars, so it's sort of incredible. Yeah,
0: this film is as old as I am. Yes, which it seems mental to me that this was made before I was sort of like during the time that I was being born. Mm. But like, just the concept that many people existed before you were born. I don't know if no, don't don't no, no, don't ruin that for me. no i am i am my universe i i live within myself that is how things i perceive time that way Hmm. Uh, but no it's it's very weird to me because obviously like you think of um the films that were made sort of within that indie market and you you look at kevin smith and yeah um like with with clerks and that kind of budget for that film and Hmm. obviously with this there's an entirely different vibe to it but it does have that kind of almost student-y vibe in a way, especially in, yeah. the, in the performances. They they almost feel like, you know, people are grabbed off the street.
1: Yeah. Well, most of them are just friends of his, basically.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of got that feeling <laughs> yeah. from watching it. Mm.
1: But again, this is where it comes into sort of being difficult to separate the production from the actual story the film presents you. And because it's so ambiguous, it leans into that more as well again it is yeah. it's it's a mood piece more than anything i feel um yeah
0: and and uh, i can i'd say like in terms of his work uh what it's most similar to or what it feels like it's the most um inspirational towards it feels most like memento i think
1: yeah well i was going to say because it is told uh, non linear yeah, non linearly and it it does a very good job of using that structure to shift the perspective of the viewer which is something he'll revisit very heavily in memento but and it shows like an immediate understanding of this I'm going to present my story and it's not just a gimmick it actually adds to the overall mood and vibe of the piece
0: yeah it, it, i think that um he gets a lot better Beyond yeah. this point of being able to tell a non-linear story, because there are times, where, especially at the beginning, where it's cutting back and forth, and you're very much confused. Like, yeah. I was starting to question if they were even the same person before he cut his hair and after yeah. he cut his hair. And
1: unlike Memento, there isn't a change in aesthetics to ease you into those flashbacks, because of course, you yeah, know, this is all black is in, and white and all yeah. shaky. Yeah, whereas Memento shifts between the two, and um, and he has well i guess this is more discussion for the memento side of things but i think guy pierce is you know not very hot not a very controversial statement guy pierce is a better actor than the guy in um yeah so, so he's better to able he's better at contrasting the two states of being for the main character
0: yeah well we have just hit five minutes for uh, that, well so i so we will just end that close
1: yeah i will just close by saying i'll add on this uh, Joel Schumacher praised following and said it showed great promise from a filmmaker who I think will do great things. So yeah. that is yeah, that is interesting. He's correct. All um, and as ironic because sort of
0: middling middling link between that. Yeah. There is a Batman symbol on um, the main character's apartment door. Yes, which means he
1: knew. That's
0: the yeah, only correct. Nolan bri- knew and yeah. Schumacher knew.
1: Yes, and that well, that's what I thought with Schumacher as well because he. 1998. He would have just come off Batman and Robin, which you know is a interesting film. And um, <laughs> it is a film. But he, you know, it's kind of ironic that he then immediately recognised. Oh yeah, this
0: guy's good. I yeah. wonder if he'll do anything. <laughs> that is following. That is yeah. As much time as we can give to that. Yeah. If we're running on the structure. Yes. Which it brings us cleverly onto. Not cleverly. Not at all. But it brings us onto Memento. Yes. Shall I stop the? Shall I start the timer? Yes, you can. The timer so, has begun.
1: Okay. So. With Memento, it immediately sort of follows on from the following, the following, ironically, um, because it continues that same stylistic approach of using the non-linear structure specifically to warp the audience's perception of events, um, but also to alter how they perceive the story as it unfolds. Like, it doesn't just yeah. feel like a gimmick, it feels like it's ingrained into the storytelling of the film. And it's such a... It's such a complex way of structuring a film, but it works so well because it it involves the audience at first by making them, by intriguing them into, okay, how did we get from one point to another? Like, what's the disparity between these flashbacks and now when this guy is a complete wreck? But at the same time, and, and as you become accustomed to the rhythm, it just, you sort of accept it. And then at the end, he uses the structure again to completely pull everything out from underneath you.
0: Yeah, I think it. I think it says a lot because obviously, following uh, you, you start in a place, but you're not really that invested in what's going on, and you slowly start to put things together. Yeah. But it's not out of like a, an interest. Whereas Memento, they start you off in a place, and you go immediately. I need to know. I want to know what's mm. happened to get us to this point. Yeah. And then it builds it back in together, and you start to understand it. But it grips you from the beginning, and I think mm. that's the. And I always find it really interesting that people talk about. Um, inception and like had the the fact that that's the more difficult to understand film when memento is far more complicated but it's told it it never pretends to be uh not complicated i guess
1: yeah i i think i think it's um he does a i think nolan's big skill here from a directing standpoint is he he uses enough restraints because he knows that he's that the priority should be on making the audience accept this structure and making them accept the rhythm of the story, so he, you know, he could have very easily, especially with a higher budget, he could have very easily indulged in that and just directed the hell out of it. But he keeps all of the shots very functional and, for lack of a better word, simplistic. But that ends up helping because it doesn't complicate it too much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's just a general. It, it has that still low budget vibe to it which i think Mm. even then makes it that little bit more accessible to an audience yeah there's but the no please do continue
1: okay um i was just going to say how good an example it is of the unreliable narrator because you yeah absolutely and and it realizes that the real impact of that um trope is not how you is is more how you reveal to the audience that you've been watching an unreliable narrator because as I said, you sort of, you go through the film and you accept the structure of the film without ever actually questioning, wait, this is a guy who can't remember his life every 15 minutes. And then as yeah. soon as you, and that's what makes the twist so good, because as soon as you find that, you want to watch it again and you realise how
0: obvious it's been the whole time. Yeah, because there's, there's no reason for you to question it the first time around, because you just assume, what I'm being told is what I need to be told, What the, like, what is the truth? And mm. I'm just I'm here to process the information, but then obviously finding out that you've been lied to, you want to be like, no, 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 I, yeah, like I'm not stupid. Mm. I I figured that no, and then you got to rewatch it immediately, and you just and it's one of those fantastic films that does really benefit from a secondary viewing. Like yeah. you don't lose anything at all from that. You gain from watching it again.
1: Yeah, and uh, as I said, when you talked about following, great performance from Guy Pearce who in many ways is doing two performances here as well one from yeah. you know the flashback perspective and where he's you know very self assured and very sort of put together and then one from afterwards where you just see this utterly desperate shell of a man trying to piece his life together
0: yeah i imagine it was it was quite a difficult i i i'm, I'm very curious i don't know if you know anything about the actual like filming process but i i'm quite interested to see like in what order they filmed everything so that if it was, if they bounced back and forth for Go Pierce or if it was more of a, they filmed everything in chronological order.
1: I feel like it has to be, I, it can't be sequential in the way it's presented in the film because that would mean so many wardrobe changes. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then again, it could just be a case of availability. I haven't researched it. So, you know, um, also Carrie-Anne Moss is really good. I feel like she's almost overlooked in a way because I, I, constantly forget that she was in this. But it, it does make yeah, perfect I mean, sense I off the back of the matrix, yeah. Off the back of the Matrix as well, you know, to turn in this sort of really suave, complex thriller, even though the Matrix is complex in its own way. But it's a very it's a world apart from the sort of action oriented levels of that film to a much more complex and morally grey area.
0: Absolutely. Well that's that's our five minutes on memento. Okay. That I feel like we wrapped that up nicely. Now, next up, we yes. do have a we have a film that I haven't personally seen, but you have. Yeah. So this is where you're gonna. So a gonna try a bit and of the reins drag here. this out. You're gonna. <laughs> you're gonna. You're gonna sell it to me. Yeah. And I'm gonna spit well, back. I, d- I don't know. Ren Am I gonna sell
1: it? Because all right, well, we'll see. Have you started the stopwatch?
0: In three, two, one, now. Okay.
1: Um, something that's weird about Insomnia to me is that I always find myself thinking this predates Memento. Because it feels a lot more... And maybe that's because it's... Maybe this is because now, after the success of Memento, he's working on a bigger budget, more within the studio system, so he's more constrained. But I feel like, in terms of... When I look at Nolan's filmography, this one feels almost like a step back, in a way. And I hate to say that, because it's... It's not a bad film, by any means, but it feels much more functional than uh, Memento did.
0: Yeah, well, you could possibly argue that, you know... Coming from Memento, and you know, saying uh, getting that bigger budget is that he's yeah. almost, you know, he has been boxed in a little bit, and he's trying mm. to play it a bit safer. Yeah. With a with a more studio friendly film. Yeah. So that he can then you know build upon that in the next film and get where he wants to be.
1: Mm. It feels like the only Nolan film where his direction and his story structure almost takes a backseat to the performances, um, because all of the performances in this are very good. I will say, uh, Al Pacino is. You know, doing his thing, but he's really good at it. But the a lot of the pre- a lot of the um, attention goes to Robin Williams, who is a really unusually dark presence in the, in Insomnia, especially because you look at a lot of his other great performances. You have like you know the Fisher King or Goodwill Hunting or um, trying to think of the Good Morning Vietnam. They all yeah. sort of rely on his own comic persona. To even if they do go deeper in some ways, they all start with this fun energy to them, and there's none of that in Insomnia at
0: all. Well, you can definitely um, I'd, I'd attribute that a lot to um, you know One Hour Photo, which is another yes. one of his creepier roles. Yeah, like he's you know he's fantastic in that. Mm. Um, so yeah, he definitely has the potential to be that kind of creepy because he's just a fantastic actor that it just happens mm. to be extremely funny.
1: Yeah yeah and in a way i think it's that the fact that he commits as much to being somber and dark as he would to a comedic role is very good like he doesn't just think oh i have to be miserable he brings the same level of focus and energy to it but just puts it into a different spectrum and
0: yeah absolutely
1: yeah but one thing that one thing that frustrates me a lot through this film is that so i mentioned earlier about how in memento nolan puts a heavy use of sort of close-ups and direct and shots that are very functional rather than you know expressive or anything like that and in Memento, it helps because it allows you to get accustomed to the rhythm and the complex structure but in insomnia you don't have that complex structure you just have these characters who are bumping into each other and nolan is filming them all in tight close-ups which sort of limits how you can express the subtext of how they're interacting. Because we don't get to see, you know, staging or blocking or sort of anything, or just the physical space between them, and you don't get a sense of it. And so, you know, it feels like it's only accomplishing part of what it needs to, I think.
0: Yeah, again, it's quite it's quite refreshing in a way that you can almost see that he was exploring something a little bit different, or like, yeah. you know, was discovering that something wasn't quite right. And it's nice hmm. to see him take a little bit of a step back and not, you know, go from strength to strength to strength.
1: Yeah. And and because he has such a heavy use on close-up as well, it means the film has to be very sort of heavily edited to portray... Like, every word of dialogue spoken by a new character cuts to a new shot of them, so it feels very choppily edited. It's like yeah. you're, you're using, you know... and I. It, it is a style and it's definitely a distinctive choice but I don't think it works for a film that is essentially about the relations between these characters and how they
0: interact over the course of,
1: of the movie.
0: Yeah when, it, when it's keep, when it keeps cutting between people you know in every dialogue and they're all shot in close-ups it, it never feels like people are connected. You yeah. want people to be in the same shot together yeah to feel that connection. But,
1: um, but, you know, as I would still recommend it purely for the strength of the performances. And, you know, it's, as you said, it's fun to see how his visual style evolves in a way. Because I think he did, I would guess he did learn lessons from from Memento. Maybe in how to, you know, in a production level, how to sort of navigate the studio system.
0: Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. I think there's definitely, you know, obviously he learns from every single film that he's made. But mm-hmm. I think that there's, a lot that probably went on behind the scenes about how he learned yeah. what he was going to be making next. Mm.
1: And it's a remake as well, which is a little odd. Well, not odd, but just sort of... Mm, I don't
0: know. It's a remake. That's an observation. That's not really anything. It's a neutral statement. Yeah. Well, luckily, that was our five minutes oh. on on Insomnia. So we managed to nice. pull through it. We did. With just we a one-handed conversation, basically. Yeah. I'm very proud of you.
1: Yes. Thank you. Uh, well, because... Luckily, our next film is... I mean, we're, I feel like um, stretching for time isn't going to be a limit with this one.
0: Yeah, because next up we're talking about a little bit of a little little unknown classic yeah. called Batman Begins, and the yes. timer has begun.
1: Okay. Um, he's back to non-linear structure in this one. Well, sort of for the first act. And it feels very cleverly used, though, because it's, again, it's a good way of uh, emphasizing the disparity between two different states for the main character. So it's like how... I mean, we're all familiar with the Batman origin, or at least we definitely are now, maybe not in 2006, like in a wider audience perspective. But it sort of creates... It immediately creates this level of intrigue of, even if we know the broad strokes of the story, we want to know specifically how did we get from this to this? How did this billionaire orphan go from that to being in, you know, whatever unspecified country this is, training with ninjas? Yeah.
0: The very much unspecified country, just yeah, where Liam Neeson can raise uh, to the top of the ranks, yes, of of this group of ninjas,
1: yes, obviously, where he has where Liam Neeson has a name like Ra's al
0: Ghul, yeah, one of the is yeah. it, I can I can never remember. Do they say it as it's Raj al Ghul in the films, isn't it? Yeah, because they they always say it as Raajal Ghul in the um in the games and some other. Oh meetings. really? Huh. And I can never I never. I never figured out which one is like... Who you know, is the, correct. Yeah, Yeah, who is the correct one. Hmm. But I'm going to assume it's probably the animated version just because, like, I don't know, they probably don't have to Americanize a lot of things.
1: Yeah. Um Something I also love about the way he handles Bruce's, or Batman's origin as well, is that he adds in the detail of making Bruce... Bruce is watching the opera, and then he sees the dancers remind him of bats, and then he gets scared, so his dad takes him out, and that's when they are shot in the alley. And it... Immediately draws a connection of Bruce feels guilty about it, but also it links it to his fear, and then that makes it gives it a real
0: catharsis when he decides to embrace that part of himself. Absolutely, it gives yeah. that additional part, and it's it's um not to sidetrack entirely, but it's what m- is missed from the um the Snyder version, yeah, yeah. way. It's just shot. It's all shot in pretty shots, but it's not. It doesn't add yeah. anything there's to a lack the actual of under- humanity context. to it. Yeah, there's a lack of yeah. humanity to it. It feels. No, um, uh, there's there's many different ways that that origin story has been told, and I th- honestly think that that version of it, just that slight tweak, really does enhance the mm. character of Bruce within that film.
1: Yeah, and it and it creates a, and it makes every other emotional point of that film hit with a with good clarity as well. Like when, um, like Michael Caine's Alfred, who might be my favorite Alfred by a long way as well. I think who,
0: if only just because yeah. it's really funny
1: to yes. do his. Yeah, his voice in it <laughs> um, But when he's, you know in, And he, after his house has been Burned down, he has this moment of thinking I've I failed, you know, that was my father's legacy And it's all gone, and you know Alfred is there, at his side, to be like You know, why do we fall, Master Wayne, and you know, and it's sweet And also they have, like, fun Interactions as well, when he's like Why, why have you been Working out this much if you can't even lift
0: A piece of timber, you've failed yeah. This is your failure why did you do it? Was it yeah. like why do you do all those push-ups if you can't yeah. even lift a piece of wood? Mm. Um, I
1: will. So yeah, I think and credit to Nolan for really taking this story seriously as a. And again, I know he didn't invent the idea of taking superheroes seriously, obviously, but I feel like in film, in how film-going audiences perceive a superhero, this feels like such a nexus point in terms of, no, this is serious. This is a guy with a real trauma, and this is his way of coping with it.
0: Yeah, because uh, you, you, the the biggest comparison you can make to it is obviously the raimi Spider Man trilogy. because yes. that was the there was the big Spider Man mm-hmm. films, the big superhero films at the time, yeah. and they were done in you know in relatively serious yes, uh, yeah. way. but it was all had that campy undertone. It was a to it. it was
1: a tone that was suitable for that character. I think absolutely. And, and yeah. Nolan does and the exact had, same thing here.
0: Yeah, because if you had, well, you can do campy Batman. That yeah. that exists, um, and we love it. But it, as it wasn't. Well, but yeah. Yeah it just wasn't right for the time in which Mm. it came out yeah and it did separate it massively from those spider-man films it made it so that it was visually different it was tonally different and it brought in a lot of different audiences that wouldn't necessarily enjoy the spider-man films necessarily
1: yeah um a lot of really good casting decisions as well i think like i you know uh Cillian Murphy as the scarecrow is fantastic and Absolutely and Christian Bale, obviously the main the main man himself, Christian Bale, Re- I I really like him as Bruce Wayne, and I know some people have issues with his Batman voice, which I, I do as well in the way, but I think in Batman Begins he actually dials it down a bit. Which I yeah, think I makes think it his best turn as Batman.
0: Yeah, I think it gets um it, it gets, gets progressively par- more yeah. extreme. Yeah, it gets to parody levels by the third one, but um, <laughs> but here but I no, think it's, it's at its best. Yeah, I think it's it really sells it in mm. um, that final confrontation in the train yeah. with um, him, and he's just like, I don't have to kill you, but I don't have to save you. Yeah. And like, you you don't, like, nobody ever makes fun of that line no, because no. he doesn't say it in like the extreme Batman voice. Like he he's just gargling goes, marbles. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that is, unfortunately, our five oh, minutes on Batman Begins. It. Well, that's, you know, I feel like I could say more, but no, we're not allowed. It's it's forbidden. Yeah, It's against the rules. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is next? We have... 2006, Ooh. The Prestige. Yeah. Oh, this this, yes. this this is this is meaty. One.
1: Yeah. The Okay, so are we starting the timer? We're starting in three, okay. two, now. I'm going to say up front, this is my favourite Nolan film, I think. I would uh, argue it's probably my favourite as well. Yeah, okay, good, we're in agreement. We'll just sit in silence for five minutes now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, if we were fighting back and forth of like, no, yeah. no,
0: no, no, I think The Dark Knight is better... Mm.
1: Um, it's, um, it, it sort of has a lot of tropes of Nolan, you know, with the uh, twists at the end and, you know, nonlinear structures and dead wives and, and, and men, Michael Caine. Yes. And men who are driven by, you know, obsessive behavior. Um, also there's, there's one, there's one thing I like, uh, there's a description of it that I really like, which is it's his most relatable film because it's about people who commit way too hard to something stupid. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely and i love that the whole film is essentially a magic act like it's a commentary on on filmmaking as well because you it's you're creating an illusion for an audience to believe in and and
0: there's that great yeah, and opening, as soon as you, yeah. you start looking behind the illusion you know it, yeah. it does it, it's not you don't like what you see yeah and there's that great opening scene where michael Caine basically Gives
1: away the three stages of a magic act. You got the the pledge, the turn, and the prestige, and then the whole film is structured to follow those three steps.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely one of those classic yeah movies that does that where It tells you exactly what's going to happen in yeah. the first five minutes, and you've got the and yeah, then it does it.
1: And and there's so much, and because of duality is a huge theme of the film, and so much of the visuals represented with reflect that as well. I mean, you know, from that opening shot of hundreds and hundreds of uh, clone top hats basically telling the whole story of the film there and and uh you know but about being about duality of not just in the like literal sense film is about it but also the duality between the two rivaling magicians and also their own split personalities which again is a very sort of metaphorical but very literal concept within the film yeah it's it's basically bonkers, yeah. It, it, and the, yeah, because that's it. Th- there's so many ideas that sound stupid, but are committed so brilliantly and
0: told with such sincerity that they end up being amazing. I think that it it genuinely. There's a little part of me that believes you got you get away with a lot of it by just including Tesla as a character. Yes. So I was gonna, and the because the whole, cause the whole yeah. idea of him of being like, first of all, having David Bowie, like, yes, uh, immediately just makes ourselves, it. This is a film in
1: which David Bowie makes his entrance by walking through a lightning storm. It's immediately the best film ever, based on that. Yeah,
0: and like, just that pure, like, David Bowie has that charisma that carries that kind of role. And Tesla as like a figure Mm -hmm. is so, is almost become mystical because of, you know, how, how... How everything transitioned from, you know, with Edison's, all, all of his inventions, yeah. and Tesla was left mm. behind. And, it, and it, that everything is of become that, Yeah. That he's almost could... become like this sort of, um, that kind of mystical figure, like almost Frankenstein kind of looking style mm. to everything. It's become a, a completely different vibe to what the real world really is now.
1: Yeah. And it was, and that was a subplot in the book that the film is based on that, Edison is also a character that sort of and Edison and Tesla sort of serve as uh motifs for uh Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale's characters. Because again, yeah, you can definitely get obsessives. that vibe. Yeah. And
0: um oh, I was like lost in my thought there. That's all you right. Go, yeah. Um but I think like that that story of like, you know, Tesla versus Edison is told mm. so many times, especially recently. I feel like I've seen it a lot recently. Yeah. Um, and cause I think a lot of people are starting to, to come to the conclusion that Tesla might've been much more in the right than Edison was. Yeah. Um,
1: the, to go back, um, it, sorry, to go back to the film for a second, what I was going to say was that I love how it slowly, almost like without even noticing, but it slowly transitions from, you know, magician drama to a full on sci-fi film essentially.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like, it starts off and you yeah. just think it's going to be, like... And um, it leans into that. and Teller. Yeah. But then it becomes almost Star Trekky kind mm. of. And
1: it brings all the big ideas you would associate with that genre as well. Like, it's not afraid to talk about giant existential problems of how much, how much of your life is dictated by the art form that you've committed to. Because yeah. they are two people who have, in one way or another, sacrificed literally everything for the sake of their art.
0: And, and also... Yeah then they get cloned. And yes, it's like exactly. it's that balance between how ridiculous that is and how almost like yeah. and complex then, it is. Yeah, and all of the existential worries
1: that come with that of, well, who even is the real me anymore?
0: Yeah. That is our five minutes, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Well, anyway, the prestige rules to close out. Yeah, I do indeed love yeah. that film. Mm. Um,
1: so cool. we move from our favourite Nolan film to I think what is... A very up there in my rankings, but I would say safely say his most popular and probably
0: widely beloved. Absolutely, yeah, it is definitely his in in a lot of people's eyes his pièce de résistance yeah. kind of thing. There's definitely a percentage of
1: people who, you know, on a more like general movie go casual movie going audience, or people who only follow big tentpole films. To a lot of people, Chris Nolan will forever be the person who made The Dark Knight.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um have we started the timer or are we just It has begun now? Oh okay, well there's that's every every segment is just gonna be open with have we started? Oh okay. Yeah are we okay, rolling? Good.
0: Um Are we it... rolling? Yeah.
1: It it understands that the characters of Batman and the scenario of it is essentially a tragedy.
0: Yeah, that it... like even immediately jumping onto it is the um the two sides of a coin with two face. Yeah and they really like they really yeah. hammer in that sort of motif of everybody is just a, a flip of a coin away from yeah. becoming the other person. Mm. And furthermore what I love is that this is immediate and this is what I
1: mean is it as The Dark Knight is like a nexus point of his career his filmmaking immediately gets more complex with this. Like you just need to look at the opening bank heist and you see how the camera moves very purposefully and it follows the action of people and we're so far away from the like close-ups of insomnia now and we've got you know multi-level staging and the the way that exposition is delivered from moving the characters and and he saves the big close-ups for that great impactful
0: moment where heath ledger's joker is finally revealed and the mask comes off i think it's it shows that he's i think the prestige was his first sort of experimentation with um a proper budget like fully experimenting with what he can do with that and then the dark knight is a sort of um evolution of what he can do with that money um
1: probably it might be something to do with the sort of bigger use of well i say bigger the use of imax cameras because this was one of the, the first film i think to be shot using imax cameras for certain sequences um and Patrick Willems just did a whole video essay about how Christopher Nolan's filmmaking has evolved with IMAX, so I'm not going to try and copy that too much. But you can definitely see his use of framing and staging to convey the subtext of how characters relate to one another has definitely gone way up from how... Yeah. And even in sequences where he's not using IMAX, like the classic one being like the interrogation scene between Batman and the Joker, Joker, and, and the way he shoots that Every visual cue is, reinforces
0: this theme of them being opposite sides of the same coin. Yeah, absolutely. I like I, the the concept of IMAX is really funny to me. Yeah. Um, just because genuinely, it's selling you the footage. It's selling you about two inches extra of a screen. Yeah. It's the footage that they that every camera really shoots. Mm. Like they just they just don't really yeah. put it on there because they they crop it out because well, it's more I, cinematic. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's probably more about the experience of watching it in a cinema like if you're trying to watch an imax footage on you know a regular on your tv or laptop or whatever it definitely doesn't have the same impact i mean it wouldn't nothing really has the same impact as a cinema regardless of it but i think imax especially it's and i think that's why nolan really likes using it because it is a way of maintaining the cinematic experience of actually watching something in theaters.
0: Yeah, it definitely, it brings in the big bucks as it were. Like it keeps people in the seats because Mm -hmm. it, it, it makes it more of an experience. Yeah. I think a lot of his films, uh, there's, you know, there's, there's argument to be said that, you know, all films are better in cinemas, but I feel like, especially with Nolan's films, he makes them so that they are built for cinema and you like, that is the full experience of it. Mm And you do lose something when you watch them at home. That is
1: probably a contributing factor into why this film did gross a billion dollars as well. Because again, it takes, a lot like Batman Begins, it takes this this sort of outline of characters that have been staples of comic books for years and takes them seriously. And as I said, treats them as a tragedy and a... And has them each represent different ideologies, and uses their interaction to make a statement about heroism and what it means to maintain order,
0: and how far you have to fall, and you know who wants to watch the world burn, and so forth. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And it's just it's that treat. It really is that treatment of Batman that has had only been done in a few sort of. Uh, comic depictions and a few animated appearances yeah where it was truly dark it was mm. truly like not beyond redemption but it really the showed us how gritty and gruesome the world of gotham is
1: yeah and i also love that it has influences from michael mann films as well like you can see a lot of heat and thief in there And because again, he isn't because Nolan like takes the vocabulary of comic books, but isn't limited to only comic books. He takes influences from other films as well and things that apply to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, that is our five minutes over. Okay. Oh, and also, you know, Heath Ledger is pretty good in it. Heath Ledger is obviously fantastic. Without saying. Yeah, it isn't worth mentioning, but I mentioned it anyway. Because next up. Ah. we ha- we have uh, what is is often talked about as his um his most complicated film. Yeah, which I don't agree with. No, I think no. most people who don't understand this film. Are just well, idiots. I I, th- <laughs> God, harsh <laughs> harsh critique. But um, I do
1: think. Well, I I think there's a there's a very the epitome of people who I think look at Inception. I don't want to say the wrong way because there's no wrong way to view art. But I think people who maybe don't fully um. Who aren't on the same page as what Nolan was trying to achieve are people who want to have a definitive answer to the ending. Like, ooh, does yeah. the top fall or not? And the point of ending it on that ambiguous note is that it doesn't matter. It yeah, the point it's is up, whether it's like it's up to you as an yes, audience member. Whether but he it, is dreaming it, it not or not, the point is he has gone through all of this and is now happy where he is. Which is either yeah, and... living a lie or facing reality, depending on how you look at the ending.
0: Yeah, and and um, me on a personal basis, the 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 language that they use throughout the film very much tells you what happens at the end anyway. Yes, because you you never see the spinning top Yeah. topple all at all, mm-hmm. and then you do at the end. Yeah, and also he sees his kids' faces. Like those yes. are two defining factors that we are told throughout the film are things that can't happen in his dream, mm-hmm. whether uh, or not it, you know it's a second another layer beneath. Um, the second, the fourth layer of dream that allows him to, you know, almost lie to himself in the dream is a different discussion, but yeah, again, it's it's regardless of the point of the film. Mm-hmm. So rewinding a little, um, on a broad level, I love the
1: idea that Inception as a film is sort of an allegory for filmmaking in general, because a lot of heist films are in a certain sense because you're gathering a crew each with a specific skill to execute a task. But with Inception, yeah. it sort of takes that allegory even further because not only the heist itself is a constructed narrative that they want to elicit an emotional response from the person viewing it. Right? And, yeah. and and making it sort of costs the main character time with his family, which you know is maybe a bit of Nolan. And this is what I mean <laughs> about how he expresses a personal vision through his films. Even if it's only a vague thing, it's really cool to see sort of a statement like that
0: even if yeah, it is that's accidental yeah he grab maybe gravitates towards that side of the story i've never really considered it as a sort of um a representation of filmmaking in general because i suppose yeah. almost that 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 crew level and that almost that level yeah. of convoluted that it does kind of mm. merge into and you do does feel yeah. like that and because
1: of the, the the concept itself it lends it lends to that idea even more because you have you know um an architect who you could say is maybe a screenwriter or a you know a a choreographer who's perhaps a director and you know all actors even who are taking on roles to embody these characters and you know just i think i think it is really fascinating to look at it from that angle um i also think this is where nolan really crystallizes his method of shooting action because i'd say like you have Steven Spielberg who loves uh, the geography of an action scene, or you've got George Miller who loves the composition of it. But Nolan, I think, really enjoys the pure, visceral sense of an action scene. So the geography and what's happened, like where something is happening, isn't as important to him as the impact of it happening.
0: Yeah, and I think it is I, effective. I
1: think... I think it's effective in Inception because it ramps up the um, mood of it all the more.
0: Yeah, and I think I think you can you can very much plant that onto the um, the infamous you know scene where they the truck goes over and everything's in slow motion. Yes. And it, very much visually, that is that's all about the impact. Yes. And the effect it's happening on you know the dream and then the dream within the dream. Mm. Like yeah,
1: and the many many shots of Tom Hardy skiing and shooting people. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know who those people are. We don't know where they're going or what they're doing. All but they're going straight is, to hell exactly
0: tom hardy is shooting them that's all that matters no i i think i think it's, it's one of the first films that um fully put dicaprio on the map for a lot of people as well yeah
1: and it, and it is a surprisingly emotional performance as well for such a high concept again a, something that shifts between drama and sci-fi in a way but it you know because and it ties into the idea that he he only sees his wife in his dreams essentially and she is haunting his dreams in a very literal sense but that also speaks a lot about, you know, the grief process, maybe.
0: Yeah, something that he, he can't escape, mm. but also... And, and it could even be that slight commentary on the fact that he's he's not able to see his, li- his wife in real life because, yes. of, you know, he's stuck with this whole crew mm. and everything.
1: Yeah, we're projecting a lot of assumptions onto his personal life here. Yeah, but but we're just projecting just, in general, yeah. like,
0: I miss my wife. and he's, Yeah,
1: he's stuck hanging out with Tom Hardy instead of his, the person he loves. I mean, they're That's, one and the well, same Yeah. <laughs>
0: obviously that goes without saying (laughs) that is our that is our five minutes on in well that's a good note to end on Uh, Nolan's not big on on sequels and and things and that so Mm. this uh, he's done one and it's weird I feel like to me the Dark Knight doesn't necessarily always feel like a sequel to Batman begins in terms of how people view it it feels like you know the Dark Knight is a solid film by itself Hmm. people kind of forget that Batman Begins is the previous film, whereas I feel like Dark Knight Rises very much feels like a continuation and a sequel, yeah. but that's probably because it had a lot more to live up to. Yeah, and I... Dark Knight Rises is, you know, it's it's a difficult
1: one because there's, there's so much of it that is really good and really, you know, well-staged and well-executed and it just... In a lot of ways, I think it feels like... It reminds me of Godfather 3 in a way, where it feels like a series of epilogues that were stretched out into a feature film. Yeah. Because there's there's a lot of really compelling ideas in it, like, you know, um, Batman and Gordon's relation and how that culminates at the end, which is a good scene, but I don't feel like it's been built up towards... through the film, really, at any point. Yeah. And... You know, and it's it feels a bit too long as well, structurally. It just, it, it's
0: sort of all over the place for me. Like, yeah, I, I, I would definitely say it's probably one of his weakest for me. And yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't like to, to push stuff onto that. I don't know if it was studio or if it was him or if it was just, you know, some people, Um, not everything's always going to be perfect. That, that's yeah a way of life. But I remember first watching Dark Knight Rises mm. and being like, that was a good time. I had a good yeah. time, but it was never. I never came out of it in the same way that I came out of the Dark Knight and thought that was amazing.
1: No, no, and it's also hard to
0: view it as
1: well in comparison to the Dark Knight because, again, like you said earlier, so much of it is built off the back of the Dark Knight that it feels almost, as I said earlier, like an epilogue almost, more than its own feature. And and I do like some of the ideas it brings up, like the fact that it it considers that the decision they made at the end of The Dark Knight, essentially the core thesis of the film, might have been wrong. The, the decision yeah. that Batman and Gordon made to cover up the Harvey's murders might not have been better in the long run. And I like that kind of challenging idea, but again, it's never really... Neither of them really face consequences for it beyond when Bane reads out the letter. It doesn't yeah. come back to haunt them in any meaningful way
0: beyond that. It's true cuz the the whole the whole general idea of that ending shot of dark knight is that you know batman is regarded as like this anti-hero kind of villain almost yeah. and it, he he but doesn't he, really have that kind of malice towards him in the right yeah. dark knight rises yeah it it you know the ending of the dark knight is very much a
1: culmination of the concept that you know you die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain and then I don't think Dark Knight Rises really offers any counter to it or any additional commentary to that idea.
0: Because uh, Batman redeems himself to be a hero, but then dies a hero, yeah. I guess. It's, it's but also, then he doesn't
1: really... Yeah. Rises is also a film that's often sort of picked on for its plot holes, which I don't I don't take issue with on a logistical standpoint because I don't really value like 100% consistent logic in a film. What does annoy me is that they overlook certain details that then render entire sequences meaningless. Because the example I think of is you have you have those three SAS soldiers who are in Gotham, or Secret Service soldiers or whatever. They're in Gotham, and they think, yeah, we can do this, whatever. And then next thing you know, they are strung up. They're, they're hanging from the bridge. And it sets up this idea that anyone who is going to break into Gotham has to, you know, they're going to have to come up with something special. That the yeah. stakes are that high. So then the fact that you just immediately cut to Bruce being in Gotham, it's like, I, I, I'm not mad because plot hole or whatever. I'm just, I'm not mad anyway, because it's a film. But it it's frustrating because it's like, well, why did that sequence exist? You were setting up something and then you've just sort
0: of disregarded it now. I, I, the thing that people always jump on is, um, is something that I, I personally also agree with, is that scene where you see this huge sequence of Bruce trying to escape the prison. Yes. And then he basically teleports back to Gotham. And the reason people always seem to jump on that is often, it's it's because the way the other scene is presented is as if there's this immediate time limit that things yeah. are really close to bubbling over. Yeah. There's a Bruce real is... world
1: stake to it uh, that they yeah. then
0: immediately disregarded uh, almost. Because Bruce has just travelled across the entire desert and the entire mm. world in yeah. a matter of minutes. Yeah. Mm. So again, it's yeah, it's
1: not an issue with logic. It's more an issue with what you've presented in the film thus far, and yeah, if if yeah. if
0: we hadn't been told, you know, Bane was going to blow up the city in three yeah. days, and then like if that wasn't like basically the scene before Bruce escapes and gets back, yeah, then it wouldn't be as much of an issue because mm-hmm. we wouldn't have that immediate timestamp on it.
1: But I also it I also just feels wrong. Yeah, I have in my notes here. Batman looks weird in daylight. Which I want to yeah. sort of. It ties into this thing of where there's an odd choice where the first half of the film feels like it's in. Gotham is always shown in darkness at night time. And then the second half of the film is almost exclusively in daylight. And it feels like it should be the other way around. Because at the start of the film, we're in peacetime and there's no threat and the light is everywhere. And then Bane turns up and he's all about, you know, I'm surrounded by darkness. I am. I was born in the shadows and whatever. So it feels like the logical stylistic choice would be that as soon as he takes over, Gotham is plunged into darkness.
0: I guess, but maybe yeah. and there's an argument don't know. to be made it, that he's sort of bringing everything to light. Like he's, you know, he's he's reading out the letter that yeah. uh, damns Commissioner Gordon and maybe, he's bringing maybe. Batman's true true identity to light. Maybe. things like that, that.
1: That is a possibility, yeah. But I, I just thought of it because it's like it solves that aesthetic problem of you know, again, I, I don't really it's a small thing, but I just don't vibe with daytime Batman as much.
0: I don't know, I like that fight scene at the end, but yeah. I do get that. It visually, it is strange. Hmm. It just doesn't work. It also starts with that weird line
1: where Bane is like, so you came back to die with your city, and Batman goes, no I came back to stop you. Like, I don't think he meant it, sincerely, Bruce.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't think you need it. You didn't I need do like to retort of, that. Uh, yeah. It just... The idea Gotta of come up with a comeback quick. Like, oh, uh, I'll get him.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, God. Yeah. In his mind, he thinks, oh, he'll, he got him. That, that yeah. shut him up. That's the one. Yeah. Um, And the red herring as well, it's sort of... As I said, he does this other thing where he did with previous Batman films where he uses characters as sort of pillars of ideologies in a way. But the problem is that by sort of reducing Bane to a henchman role by the end... Every ideology he represented is then sort of rendered mute. So then it's no longer a conversation about battling ideas. It's just, you know, which Talia's strong guy.
0: Yeah, and and Bane deserves so much more than that as a he character. Does. And for him to just go out like not even yeah. for Bruce to not even as a beat joke, him
1: essentially. Yeah, And I don't, I don't want to seem whiny when I say that, but it's, it's the way the film has built him up to be this domineering presence. And then I feel yeah, like it... him, him biting the dust should be a bigger deal to Bruce as well, because he's the guy who crippled him. He's the guy
0: who has been this brick wall the entire film. Yeah, and for him to just be taken out by uh, essentially a sidekick, yeah. it feels... Yeah. Although I will say, missed opportunity. Yeah. speaking of which, um,
1: Anna Hathaway, I think she really did well in the role of Catwoman. Oh, absolutely. I think, I, I think that's, that's one of the best parts of the film for me. Especially because she doesn't try to copy Michelle Pfeiffer's thing. She does her own unique take on the character. But I yeah, think she's not a crazy cat works, lady. She's yeah. just a sleek and if, burglar. It, it fits really well into Nolan's overall world as well
0: and tone of the character. Well, um, we've run over on The yes. Dark Knight Rises. I thought we Which would. I kind of expected. Yeah. Because it's a bit more of a... A mess. (laughs) Yeah, I thought we
1: would because as soon as I started talking about Batman in the day, in my mind I was already like I feel like we're close to the time. Oh yeah, we were at five minutes at that point. Ah, well then. Oh well. But I'm excited for for the um, thing. Yes, the next one. Um, Okay, so the main thing that stands out to me about Interstellar is that it is a film that wants to be two different things. Part of it wants to be a sincere humane uplifting sci-fi epic you know sort of more of the style of the right stuff about exploration and pushing you know humans beyond the stars and whatever which is fine and part of it wants to be a clinical philosophical 2001 style epic and yeah. I, it's this sort of war between these two moods that sort of undercuts each one and it means that it doesn't quite get to be either. Even though I still think there's a lot, there is a ridiculous amount to admire in this film.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to start off straight away and just yeah. say, like, visually and yes. audibly, yes. this, it is one of the most incredible films I've ever seen. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey's performance is incredible. Yeah, the scene where he's um, watching his daughter age in, it, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely incredible. Hmm. And that's why I found myself really disappointed by the time the credits rolled yeah because i was really involved and i was really into the entire film until it tried to bounce back on itself and go 2001 yes which again is is
1: fine but so much of the film is grounded in the pure like the raw humanity of the characters that if you then try to suddenly go you know to this reality bending finale it's sort of, it feels at odds with the rest of the film, I think.
0: Yeah, it's it's it feels almost as if, like, Nolan had the film yeah. and then thought, that, oh, I haven't done enough of my thing. Like, yes. I haven't done my time thing. Yeah. So he tried to put, implement <laughs> it in the end. So I just love that um, that idea of him, like, his face appearing as, like, a
1: what-am-I-like thing at the end.
0: What am I like? <laughs> <end>. <laughs> am I, like? Yeah. I did the time thing. Yeah. Yay don't you just love time yeah it's so weird bro yeah no because like, the whole film is based around like the idea of you know perception of time being different like it's seven yeah. years on the planet mm-hmm. uh, No, one day on is like seven years in the ship yeah. and stuff and just for that to kind of you know flip around it's like they went we want him to have another emotional scene with his daughter but obviously mm. there's no natural way that he could get back in time For it to work out. So it's going to have to be some kind of wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff. Mm. I feel like part of me wonders if it would be
1: more interesting if shown more from the perspective of Earth. Like Jessica Chastain's character watching it happening. Yeah. Because because I do, I, I like the idea that she is really the most important character of the story and that this is her story. But then we don't get enough of her on screen to really justify that. And as I yeah, said, it doesn't I think, become her story. I think, and I think her witnessing all of this from her limited perspective might be more interesting. Or maybe if it was told in a more, you know, non-linear fashion, perhaps where she sees all these things and then we go back to find out how they happened. But as it is, yeah. it just it feels almost uh, I don't want to say out of nowhere because it is set up, but it feels a bit too out of left field. We're not lured into the concept of you know magic bookshelves.
0: Yeah, I think I think it says yeah. a lot that it really did take me out of it when I was yes. I was so invested yeah. for the most part of the film. Mm. And I was sat there going like this is genuinely incredible. Like the yeah. sound design and space and the visuals of like yeah. the black hole and everything. And was... his
1: his choice of shots as well, especially with that docking sequence. It's it's incredible because it it fully Puts you in the weight of the moment and you become accustomed to the laws of physics in this world so that you're right there on the edge of your seat. And then Hans Zimmer's score is astonishing and, you know, and it's really good. And I, you know, it's, I think that alone is worth seeing it for, I will say. Yeah. I I would would never say that no one should watch this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I wouldn't even necessarily call it bad. It's just a bit
0: like Dark Knight Rises, it's sort of a mess. Although I do think, I do prefer it to Dark Knight Rises. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's there's some... Um, th- this is probably one of the, the biggest arguments you could say that, you know, of Nolan going up his own ass a bit like yeah yeah i would i wouldn't necessarily class him as a filmmaker that does Mm. that but this is definitely something that you could very much argue that like he got involved in himself a bit too much and And it's also better
1: yeah and we were talking about how inception very much links the emotional state of its character to the concept itself i feel like interstellar more dips in and out of it it uses that human link when it suits it rather than constantly reinforcing it
0: yeah, and then they try to try and push it back in at the yeah. end with Anne Hathaway and being like, "Go find her." She's, oh yeah, her, I forgot her about husband's that. Oh dead. yeah, that's
1: the other thing. Too much of the dialogue is a bit too robotic. Yeah, because for to, to and again, as I said, because it wants to be this human drama, and so it doesn't feel like the characters are humans. They're just sort of
0: spouting ideas and concepts yeah. about you know love and so forth. It's Something that I feel like. Um, oh my god i've forgotten the name of the, the film ad astra um yes of dad astra that did um yeah. it Brian went astra. a lot more yeah it went a lot more
1: Clinical. in its yeah. yeah it took it a more detached view and better. was
0: better for it absolutely but mm. one final thing i will say about interstellar because we've run out of time on it yes but tars is amazing tars is good
1: the CGI um,
0: on Tars especially yeah. was incredible. My final thing, um, I don't know why he had to
1: steal the spaceship at the end. I feel like he could have just asked. Yeah. But,
0: it's less dramatic. Yeah.
1: So anyway. Hey, can, I, can I borrow that? Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Um moving on to his most recent film then, as of now, because Tenet is not out yet. So yes. Dunkirk. Now, Dunkirk is a film I have I feel like I've appreciated it a lot more on like multiple viewings because and and i love it first and foremost because it is a really good signal of how nolan has evolved over his career because you think about how much of his earlier films rely on exposition and they're all about characters talking and explaining things as they happen and this is the first film where it feels like he really leaned back and trusted the
0: visuals to tell
1: a story which they do i think really
0: well yeah i feel like because i've only watched dunkirk once I uh, yeah. i saw it in the cinema and I yes, came out like of it, it that. and I, yeah, I, I have not gone to back to rewatch yeah. it, and I think we both were sort of, um, not we weren't we weren't immediately like yeah, oh my god, that Balled was over amazing it. yeah yeah, we, I felt myself lacking yeah enjoyment for it purely because I found the the sort of visual language of it a bit too messy yeah I know I I get um i've in in few, in in times come after that, I've realized that that was almost the intention that it yeah. was this sort of messy view of war mm yeah, uh but that doesn't necessarily mean that I enjoyed that
1: yeah, yeah i I can get that um i I think it's also weird because it does what we were just talking about what we wanted interstellar to do, which is take commit more to one route and it takes a much more detached view of war. And I think it all it feels a lot like uh the thin red line in a way, where you almost the, the like time sort of becomes compressed into this endless string of death at every turn. The soldiers themselves aren't that distinctive, or they're almost one, you know, amalgamous force moving forward. But again, I think that's I think that is a deliberate choice because it speaks to the shared
0: experience of everyone on that beach. Yeah, I, I it really does because you find yourself coming out of it and you go like I really enjoyed Harry Styles uh, yeah, character, I and I really yeah, enjoyed Tom name, Hardy
1: yeah you couldn't name a character in it but I think that's intentional because and also these soldiers didn't really know each other either they were just stranded on that beach thinking yeah, they, they were just spending soldiers. every minute
0: thinking they were going to die and just trying to get by I will say I was a bit distracted by Harry Styles being Harry Styles yeah apparently
1: there's a story that Nolan had no idea who he was he came into the audition to, you know, to play someone in Dunkirk, and Nolan liked his vibe. And I, I, I can't help but wonder if someone from higher up was like, "Hey, maybe cast that kid because yeah, it will help. It that? will help lure in uh, teen girls or whatever um, maybe. to the film." To, um, but it's, uh, you know, I, I would buy that though. Nolan seems like a detached guy. There's that video of him at the uh, MTV Movie Awards for like in 2002 where Eminem is performing and it cuts to the crowd and he's in the crowd and everyone else is dancing but him. He's just perfectly yeah. still. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. So. Yeah, I can absolutely believe that. But mm. yeah, I, I found uh, there was a lot of things on a on a technical basis that I found with mm. Dunkirk is again with yeah. the visual language. There was a lot with the. It seems really picky to pick up on but it's something that i did notice was it was the color grade that was slightly yes yeah you mentioned that at the time yeah yeah it really did it caught Mm. me off guard in terms of i found myself questioning what was going on and Mm. almost almost going well i don't it's cutting from shot to shot and it's not really quite matching
1: see that's the yeah that's the thing i i can't i'd struggle to sort of reach for that as a deliberate choice or anything but i do yeah sometimes what i find is that the The way he structures it does get confusing at times, but I like how he's based it less on chronological sequence of events and more on the intensity of it. Like he's drawing parallels with soldiers scrambling to get off a sinking boat with one of those pilots trying to get out of his sinking aircraft after it's been shot down. And this yeah, you know, a, the water it's a is seeping form in form yeah. of like,
0: non-linear storytelling.
1: Yeah, Like the water is seeping in and you're afraid of drowning, obviously. And but you're watching that happen both times over. And it and it really ramps up the overall intensity of it so it doesn't feel mishmashed.
0: Yeah, I th- I think a lot of it 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 comes down to I think it's a really interesting depiction, mm. you know, of that war and of yeah. those battles. Mm. And it's maybe not necessarily something that I personally enjoyed as a film. Yeah. But I admire what it was trying. It was trying something different yeah. and it in it is a lot of people will regard it as fantastic and great and I mm, I do. I think it's yeah, I think it's a personal taste thing that it's just not ne- yeah. ne- not necessarily that something that I enjoyed.
1: Well, uh you know who does love it is Quentin Tarantino because he did an interview where he he liked it that
0: that's Yeah, but he also really likes feet and I think yeah, feet he... are gross. Yeah. <laughs> So clearly we have some different dis- tastes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have different I tastes.
1: Full- I can't condone the second of his opinions there, but I'm, <laughs> I'm all I'm all aboard with the
0: first. That's fair. But that is that is our entire uh, five minutes on Don and that technically wow. is the end of our yeah. episode. If um, can call it so that. as
1: having gone through all of his films now, like as a recap, if if you had to name, well, say your top three. What what would you regard as his best three for you?
0: Um, I'd say Prestige top. Um i'd say it's interesting because I, I feel like the internet per- perception of inception kind yes. of ruins it in a way yeah i feel like it was talked about so much that i've lost love for it mm-hmm. in terms of like my own personal watching yeah. ability of it um and genuinely it's sort of it's grown in terms of Instellar because yeah. i love i love the first half of that film so much that mm. it's almost it's still one of my favorites of his films yeah So I would, I'd honestly say probably the Prestige, the Dark Knight, and Interstellar are my top three. Really,
1: wow. Um, I'd have to say I'd also put the Prestige top um, because you know it's and maybe there is an element of because it feels like one of his least talked about films. There is a sense of I enjoy talking
0: about it more because it hasn't been as widely picked apart. Yeah, it's one of those weird ones where it's like it's known really well by people who know about films yes. and like to talk about films. Yeah, so you got to be very careful not to become the preachy guy who talks about films that doesn't that people don't know about. Yeah. but at the same time, it is still an, a more underground film than The Dark Knight. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um. And then I'd say I'd probably put
1: Memento second, just because you know it's it it still feels like the one that has most established him as a masterful storyteller because as like i said handling that structure is in itself an impressive feat to make an audience go along with that and buy into it and that it's remotely um cohesive at all yeah and then third place i would probably put Don dunkirk that's it's, interesting yeah um, oh yeah. Also, it's it's kind of cool that after because Interstellar felt a bit bloated, and I like that in Dunkirk he cut down the runtime a lot. He actually made it yeah. a quite short film, which again more about the visceral experience and mood of war rather than telling any linear story, which I like a lot.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm always a big fan of shorter films rather yes. than longer films. Oh, when you see that it's only ninety minutes. Oh, what oh, a, a relief! Really, no, yeah. seeing following this morning. Yeah, like, it's sixty-nine, 69 minutes. minutes. Yeah. Nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But no, it I it's just it he's, it's it's nice to talk about a filmmaker that feels consistent. Yeah. But has a lot of different work has evolved as well and it
1: has ups Absolutely. and downs and, and for better or worse has sort of taken their own style to the wider studio system and introduced wider audiences to it. Yeah um and you know and especially nolan because as we said as i said at the start i don't think following is a it's it's not a burst out of the gate spectacular debut like in the way that you know like badlands or reservoir dogs or blood simple is for a lot of people but i think it's such a good mood setter that it sort of creates a nice narrative to the rest of his filmography
0: yeah you can really see who he is from that yeah. film. It'd be you, interesting. I didn't watch. necessarily enjoy watching yeah. it, but it was yeah. still, you mm. can see what he, who he is from that movie. Yeah. Like it would be interesting to watch that and then immediately go out and watch Tenet. And
1: that's, that's one of the main things that excites me about Tenet. The, if we ever get to see it, the idea that yeah. a, um, that his style is evolving even further and that it might, you know, change and shift slightly again.
0: Yeah. And, and the fact that he blew up an entire plane just, to, just for the film. Yeah, that as well was pretty cool. Um, Which so, is yeah. starting to become a worrying theme that he's doing though because he did it for uh, Dark Knight Rises as well, yes. didn't he? He's he's just he's
1: becoming the Harrison Ford of directors. <laughs> he's crashing all the planes. Get off
0: my plane!
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was talking about like not even a character, real life Harrison Ford.
0: He just can't <laughs> stay out of planes <laughs> that he's Ford, crashing. Yeah, he's sticking him in golf courses. Oh, just the, too much of it. I'm 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 excited to see Tenet. Yeah. I really do want to see what, what it's going to be. Yeah. It's not going to be anywhere near as good as Scoob, but, you Obviously know... Obviously not. Um, did, you, did you ever... I haven't seen it yet. I've yet to see it as well, Oh, God, I know <laughs> that
1: Simon Cowell has a weird cameo in it. Yeah, it's, it's like... made
0: me really not want to <laughs>
1: watch it. I don't know. I'm very, I'm very split over it because I'm like... I In a weird way, something I've gotten from some of the critics is that it would be a bit better if it was a bit worse. If it yeah. was a bit more of a mess, it's just sort of a bland, animated studio thing. And it would be way better if it was, you know, like a James Gunn films. Sort of. Yeah. Whether you love it or hate it, it's sort of a fascinating mess. It would definitely be better
0: if yeah. Velma was gay. Yes. As was originally intended. Hmm. <laughs>
1: and... Oh, yeah. Did you see Linda Cardini? What? Oh, I always get the name, the, the vowels. Linda Cardellini. Her, but... Linda Cardellini. She said that that was like a f- she deliberately played it that way. She yep, leaned into that because reading she the is a queen she, she's and a a she's a professional and she knows what she's doing.
0: But no we can call yeah. that safely an episode we and can. someone point at this I can easily fade it out I imagine. Or I can add in the five, six, seven, eights and whatnot. <laughs>